Welcome to Truth for Transformation with Timothy Brown. Timothy is the lead pastor of Arden First Baptist Church in Arden, North Carolina. Our mission is to lead ordinary people into extraordinary life in Christ. We pray that today's message inspires you to live an extraordinary life in Jesus Christ. Check out our website for more inspiring resources, ardenfbc.com. Now, here's today's message from Pastor Timothy Brown. Not only Christmas, but every day is a day of giving. And Father, we thank you that you gave the greatest gift in all of eternity, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, so that we could have life, so that we could be forgiven. And Father, I pray for each person gathered here and those online that you would just minister to them, that they would realize that you have called us to be the hands and feet of Jesus in this world. You've called us to spread the good news about the greatest gift. So, Lord, with every gift that we give, whether it's a bicycle, whether it's a board game, whether it's a family that is in need, all of these gifts point us to the greatest gift ever given. So, Lord, we pray that you would bless each person here for those listening online And we pray that you would speak to us through your word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Welcome. Welcome to everyone online. So good to see you. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 1, so go ahead and turn there. As you turn there, I want to tell you a story about George Mason. He was a professional and he ran his own company. But he kind of got caught up so into the business where he just really was all about work. You know, he was working all the time. So Christmas Eve came. And his nieces and nephews invited him, Uncle George, to come and spend Christmas. But he really thought they were a little too loud. How many of you thought your kids, grandkids, they're a little loud? He's like, I I just want to spend Christmas alone. So he bought some records for his old record player that he was going to listen to. And he really decided, I'm just going to spend Christmas alone. I don't want to hear these noisy kids. So as he was closing up for the night, he opened his vault. He had this brand new vault in his business to store all the money. He went to go get some extra cash. Maybe he was going to enjoy a Christmas to-go dinner. So he went to go get the cash, and as soon as he turned around, the unthinkable happened. It closed on him. So he found himself Christmas Eve locked in a vault. So he began to beat against the vault. He began to scream, but he was the last person there. Even the cleaning lady had left for the day. So he yelled and screamed, but no one could hear him. And in his mind... He had these memories and thoughts of he would hear these news stories about people that would suffocate in a vault. Because once it's closed, the air would go away. So he's like, maybe if I just breathe little breaths, I can make it through the night. And they'll come tomorrow. And when they they come to work, they'll rescue me. And then he's like, wait a second, tomorrow is what day? It's Christmas Day. No one's going to come. So he began to grope around in the darkness. And he's like, i got to think, think, think. i got to think. And he realized the salesman had mentioned a safety feature. There was a little opening in the top of the vault that if he could find it, he could open it and it would let air in. So he he groped through the darkness. He found the the safety feature. He opened it and a little air began to trickle in. He's like, oh, if I can just make it through Christmas Eve. So he made it through Christmas Eve and he was hungry. His stomach was rumbling. He had to go to the bathroom, but where was there to go? I mean, he was just really struggling. Christmas Day occurs and He thought to himself, I really wanted to be alone for Christmas, but not like this. So that was the longest day of his life. George sat in that vault, starving, all alone. And then the next day after Christmas came. And finally, his financial manager came in, unlocked the vault, but didn't open the vault. 
And as soon as he could, he opened the door and George snuck out of the vault without anyone seeing him. He held a taxi, went home to his lonely house, and he began to realize there's more than this. Christmas, there has to be something more than what I'm experiencing. So he took a shower, ate some food. He came back to his work later that day. And to his surprise, nobody missed him. Nobody realized he was gone. He truly was all alone. So the story goes on that he had a plaque near the vault where he had been locked in. And the plaque read like this. To love people, to be needed somewhere is the purpose of life. This is the secret of happiness. And although George never married and he was single for the rest of his life, he realized he needed to reconnect with his family, with those noisy nieces and nephews, with, with, with his extended family. He needed to realize that he was not alone. So today we're going to do a message called Never Alone, the God who was with us. Have you ever felt alone before? Maybe even in a crowd. Sometimes in a crowd it can be the loneliest place on earth. Have you ever been with your family and everyone's having conversation, but you're sitting at the dinner table and you feel alone? Well, I've got good news for you. You're never alone. Because of Christmas, we have a God who came to live with us. And today's message is a little preview. We're going to revisit the first Christmas. And you guys are going to walk away with this conclusion that God is with me. God is for me. I am never alone. So let's look at Matthew 1. We're going to read just five verses. It says, And she will bring forth the Son, and you shall give him the name, what? Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name, let's say it together, Emmanuel, which is God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her till she brought forth her firstborn son and called his name Jesus. So today's message is called Never Alone, the God who is with us. And we're going to discover or rediscover three truths that will change the way you think about Christmas and not just Christmas but it'll change the way you live each and every day of your life. The first truth is this. You are never alone because Jesus came to rescue you. You are never alone because Jesus came to rescue you. Look back at verse 21 that we just read. She will bring forth the son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. So here we see that Mary was pregnant with the Messiah. Mary was pregnant with the Messiah. For those of you who are here last week, I told you to get pregnant with the promise, right? And some of you are like, what? Uh, and my wife wasn't here, but it was, it was a joke on you, but you'll have to watch the online. So Mary got pregnant with the promise, right? And the promise was Jesus is coming. Here we see that Mary is going to have the Son of God living inside of her. Can I give you guys a Christmas mystery that maybe you haven't thought about in a while, or maybe this is the first time? Whenever you become a born-again believer, when you accept Jesus in your life, you too have God living on the inside of you. So we may think it's bizarre and mysterious that Mary was pregnant with Jesus and that had never been done, a virgin birth, had never been done. But think about it like this. Jesus grew on the inside of Mary. She delivered Jesus. 
He lived for 33 years, a perfect life. He died a sacrificial death on the cross. Three days later, he rose victoriously. He was on earth post-resurrection. Anybody know how many days? 40 days. And he went up to heaven. Ten days later, the Holy Spirit came down on the day of Pentecost. And ever since that day, if you are a Christ follower, if you've been adopted into his family, here's the Christmas mystery. You too have God living on the inside of you. Think about that. God is living on the inside of you. So here is the beautiful thing. Look at your listening guide. 2 Corinthians 13, 5, Paul says, examine yourselves to see whether you're of the faith. He says, do you not realize that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless, of course, you failed the test. So Paul is telling the believers at Corinthians, listen, Jesus is living in you. How is Jesus living in me? It's through the person of the Holy Spirit. In Romans 8, verses 9 through 11, he says, You're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Now, listen to this promise. It's really beautiful. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So Paul is saying, listen, when you become a believer, the Holy Spirit moves inside of you. And that same power that raised Jesus from the dead, guess what? He will raise you from the dead. So if anybody is feeling a little depressed today, I want to remind you, you have resurrection power living on the inside. If anybody is experiencing the holiday blues, let me remind you, that's a real feeling. But you have resurrection power living on the inside. If you feel like you can't go on another day, you have resurrection power. If you feel like you can't make it, if you feel like life's too hard, you have resurrection power on the inside. So the same Mary that had Jesus living inside of her, guess what? Future tense. Us, New Testament believers, we have the Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, living inside of us. And that's good news. So you are never alone. Because God is with you, God is for you, and God lives within you. So let's look at the name. He says, you shall bring forth a son, and you shall call his name what? Jesus. What does the name Jesus mean? Well, the Hebrew Name for Jesus is Yeshua, and it comes from two words. Yah is short for Yahweh, and Yasha, it means to rescue, to deliver, to save. And it's really the Old Testament form of Joshua is similar. So here's the idea. Whenever you say the name Jesus, you're saying God saves. Whenever you say the name Jesus, you're saying God rescues, God delivers, God is my strength. God is coming through. So we don't pray in the name of Jesus as a magical prayer, but we pray in his name and his authority. We say, God, I need your help in the name of Jesus, because guess what? He's the one who saves. He's the one who rescues. He's the one who delivers. And by the way, his name, Jesus, and his mission are the same. His name means to save. And it says, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will what? Save his people from their sins. So his name and his mission are the same. But notice it says he will save who? His people. So you've got to ask yourself the question, am I part of his people? Do I belong? Let me give you another mystery that sometimes we don't talk about as Christians. But how many of you have grandkids? 
grow. Over 40, you probably wouldn't. Under 40, probably not going to raise your hand. A lot of you over 40 raising your hands. Did you know that God has no grandchildren? He has no grandchildren. He only has children. And all of us have to be adopted into his family. He has only one legitimate son, the eternal son of God. The rest of us are adopted. So for those of you who have turned on the Oprah show back in the day, it's like we're all God's children. And that's been popular. You know, it's been everyone's been saying we're all God's children. The truth is we're all God's creations and he loves us. But he has no grandchildren. So you have to be adopted. A lot of people say, well, my dad's a Sunday school teacher. Or he's a deacon or my mom's all that's wonderful. But just because you have family heritage in the faith doesn't mean you're part of the faith. You have to be adopted. And it begs the question, well, how do I become a child? How do I become a child of God? John gives us the answer in John 1.12. This is on your listening guide. It says, but as many as received him, to them he gave the power, the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe on his name. So, in other words, because we're not all God's children, because we're his creation, the way to get into God's family is you're adopted. Now, we have some people in our church that have been adopted and you've adopted kids. That's a beautiful thing. The thing about adoption is actually you get to choose who you're adopting. You get to say yes. And the beautiful thing about being in God's family is he chose you. You're adopted. And that's a beautiful truth that you're adopted into God's family. So question I ask you, and this is for your family members, this is for your friends that you ask around the holiday season. Just think about, have you been adopted into God's forever family? Have you been adopted? And part of our vision we've unleashed at Arden is we're challenging all of us to have gospel conversations. By the end of 2022, does anybody remember the goal? How many conversations? 1,000. Amy knew. Let's give Amy a hand. She knew it. All right. That's why I have to keep repeating vision because we forget. So here's the idea. 1,000 seems like a lot of gospel conversations. But if all of you have one every month, just one a month, it, it, we, we can reach your goal. So let me give you some examples because sometimes you're like, I don't know, what does that look like? Does that mean I have to preach on a street corner? Does that mean I have to pa- pass out tracks? It, it could, but sometimes it's just a simple conversation. So I'll give you two quick stories how I'm, I'm working on having go- gospel conversations, and I want to hear your stories as you do. Is um, I was in Ingalls recently. It's amazing who you can meet at Ingalls, but I was studying for my message and preparing, and there was this guy sitting there just quiet. And so I start talking to him and I was like, are you okay? How are you doing? He looked, he looked like he was hungry and I was like, well, all I have is a dollar. So I gave it to him, you know, think in hindsight, I probably should have took him to the salad bar, but I just wasn't thinking. I gave him a dollar. That's all I had on me. And I started talking to him about the Lord. I said, do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? And he said, I do. And I go to this church and I was like, well, maybe you should talk to your pastor about financial assistance. And we, we were kind of having that conversation. So that was Someone that was already a believer, but it went towards the Lord. Another example of a gospel conversation, I was at Planet Fitness just down the road here. And I, was, I had my coffee with me, you know, caffeinating my workout. So um, the guy's like, did you bring me one? It was a Starbucks. I said, no, but I'll bring you one tomorrow. And he's like, he didn't really think I would. So the next day I showed up, I brought him a Starbucks, and we were sitting there talking. And I, I told him what I did. I'm a pastor. And we start talking. He's like, you know, I'm not religious. I don't really, I, I don't really know about God. So we started that conversation. And he's like, I may come check your church out. So here's the thing. It doesn't have to be a long projected conversation. It's just leading people towards Christ, starting with the question. And I want to encourage all of you this month, try to have one a week. 
It could be the person at the checkout at Publix. It could be the person that's, you know, doing yard work, whatever it may be. Ask them, you know, tell them, this is Christmas season. Do you know Jesus? Or tell me about your spiritual life. Have these gospel conversations. All right. Truth number two. Someone say, you're never alone. Online, say, you're never alone. Okay. Number two, you're never alone because Jesus came to be with you. He not only came to save you, but he came to be with you. Look at the next verse, verse 22. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin will be with child, bear a son, and they will call his name, what? Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. So we see here that Jesus came to fulfill all the scriptures. And on your listening guide, I have a little insight there. You can look at it. Scholars have different equations of how many verses they came up. J. Barton Payne studied the Old Testament. He found 574 verses that pertain to Christ and his first coming. 574 prophecies. Another scholar, Alfred, found 456 Old Testament verses. But you can conservatively say at least 300. So think about that. 300 prophecies or more that pertain to Jesus' coming, his life, and his earthly ministry. That's a lot of prophecies. And I wish we had time to go through them, but 300 prophecies would take us 300 days, right? So I'm just going to give you a few. The first one is Isaiah 7:14. that's quoted in our passage today. It says, The Lord himself will give you a son. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. This is only mentioned twice in Isaiah and in our passage today of Matthew. And you're like, well, what's the sign here? Well, a virgin having a child and there is no earthly father. Hello, that's never happened before. That's the sign. Genesis 3.15, we talked about this in weeks past, where it's a prophecy of the seed of the woman crushing the head of the serpent representing Satan. And you're like, the seed of the woman? I've studied in biology class. Isn't that the guy that has the seed? Absolutely. So the seed of the woman is a reference to the, the Messiah coming through the Virgin Mary, the virgin birth. And the beautiful thing about that is it says the Messiah talks about he will bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So Satan is not going to have victory. Jesus is victorious over the serpent. He is victoriously. I love Genesis 12, 1 through 3, where God told Abraham to leave your country, your homeland. And he says, I will bless those who bless you and I will what? Curse those who curse you. And then in verse 3 of Genesis 12, he says, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And guess where, which line Jesus came from? From the tribe of Judah, the Israelites. So because of Israel, because of the Messiah, all the nations of the world, including us Gentiles, have a chance to be saved. Genesis 49.10 is another prophecy. The scepter shall not depart from Judah. That's a symbol of someone ruling and reigning, a king. Nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes. To him shall be the obedience of the people. So you think about that. Which tribe, as I mentioned, did Jesus come from? Someone tell me. Judah. So you see all these prophecies. So if someone is listening today, and maybe you're agnostic, maybe you're an atheist, maybe you're a Christian, that you struggle with, is the Bible true? Look no further than the prophecies. Look at these 300 plus prophecies and how Jesus perfectly fulfills all of them without contradiction. So if you talk to someone that's an atheist, agnostic, they doubt the Bible, look at the prophecies. The prophecies show you that the Bible's true. 
and Jesus is the Messiah. Amen. So this name, Emmanuel, as I mentioned, appears three times. And the prophecy given in Isaiah 714, get this, it was given 700 years before Jesus came on the scene in the Virgin Mary. Now think about that. 700 years before Jesus came to earth, this prophecy was given. So that shows you how, like, I mean, who could predict something 10 years in advance, much less 700 years? So what's interesting about Emmanuel is no one has called him that, right, in the Bible. After this, you don't see Mary and Joseph saying, hey, Emmanuel, come here. No, they say, hey, Jesus. You don't see any of the apostles saying, we serve Emmanuel. They say, we serve Jesus. So why do they call him Emmanuel if we don't call him that today, if we don't use that name as a, as a common phrase? Well, you may want to write this down. The name Jesus has to do with what he does for us. That's his mission. The name Jesus is his mission. What is his mission? To save us. Emmanuel is his relationship with us. So Jesus is his mission. Emmanuel is his relationships. I want you guys to get this in your soul, your spirit. God not only wants to save you, but he wants to have a relationship with you. He not only wants to rescue you from your sins, but he wants to enter into your life. So I want to encourage you, there is no tear that comes down your face that doesn't touch the heart of God. There is no heartbreak that you go through that doesn't touch him. He enters into your pain. He enters into your struggle because he is the God who is with us. He is Emmanuel. God is with us and God is for us. All of us have heard of John 3.16, but have you heard of 1 Timothy 3.16? Let me read this to you. It says, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. Now think about this mystery. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed up in the world, received up into glory. You're like, what is that saying? That's saying that Jesus was the eternal son of God who put skin on. He is God with skin on. And he came to live in your neighborhood. He came to live among us. Colossians 2.19 says, For in Christ dwells all the fullness of God in human body. John 1.14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He tabernacled among us. So I want you to get this in your spirit. It's so encouraging that when you look at the Garden of Eden, God walked with Adam and Eve, right? He had a relationship. He walked with them. And when you fast forward to the New Testament... And it says, Emmanuel, what, 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 what is that picture? The picture is God is not just walking with us, but God is living within us. Now I, want you, I want you to picture that. Think about the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve walking with God. But in the New Testament, it gets even better because God not only walks with you, but he lives inside of you. That's an even deeper relationship. And Jesus said it like this, I'm with you always even to the end of the age. So friends, guess what? You are never alone because God is with you. God is for you and God lives within you. Amen. Someone say you're never alone. Number three, you're never alone because Jesus gives you strength in the midst of your struggle. And it's easy to say, well, Timothy, that sounds good. Like God with me, God for me. Yes, but you don't know the struggle. You don't know the anxiety levels I feel at night. 
You don't know the medication I take just to cope with the day to day. You don't understand, Timothy, there's there's an empty place at my dinner table this year. You don't understand financially. I've been hit hard. You don't understand. I've got the doctor's support and it's cancer. You don't understand my struggle. And you know, the truth is I don't. But there's someone who does. Emmanuel, he's the God with us. He's the God who enters into your struggle, into your sorrow. Look back at verse 24. We're going to look at Joseph and then we'll look at your life. It says, then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her till she brought forth her firstborn son and called his name Jesus. So I want to ask the men a question. How many of you men would marry a pregnant woman and the baby's not yours? Not many hands going up, right? So here's the thing. Joseph was struggling. He was struggling so much. Last week we learned that he was going to divorce Mary. He was going to do it privately. He was going to do it in a dignified way, but he was struggling. I want you to think about the weight of the world in his shoulders. He's getting ready to marry a woman whose child he's going to raise that's not his own. Not only that, but this child, his name's Jesus because he's going to save his people from their sins. Well, how, how will he save them? Well, part of it, he has to die for them. So think about raising a child that's not your own, and he is on a death mission, a life mission and a death mission. He's going to live in order so he could die. Now, how would that feel if you're a little toddler, your little newborn, you know that you're raising this child up so that he could die for the sins of the world? I mean, that's, talk about the weight of the world. And by the way, this little child you're raising, it's God in the flesh. And you've got to take care of God the flesh. Now, think about the creator who is relying on the creation to sustain him. The one that created Joseph is now, Joseph is now the adopted father. The one that created Mary is now relying on Mary for sustenance, for, for food, for care. This is the mystery of Christmas, how God, who needs nothing, who created all things, purposefully lays his glory aside, comes down to earth, And lives as the God man, 100% God, 100% man. The creator is now part of the creation, relying on, on God's grace, on God's help. You know, Jesus got hungry, just like anyone else. Jesus got thirsty. Jesus wept. And that's the mystery that while Jesus was 100% human, he was also 100% God. But Philippians 2 says he laid aside his privileges. He didn't cling on to his rights. In other words, unless the Father's will was to do something, he didn't do it. He did miracles, he did wonders, he did signs when God wanted him to. He laid aside the independent use of his abilities. Could he have spoken worlds into existence? Yes. Could he have done? Yes. But he laid aside his independent access. He submitted to the Father. And that's the mystery. He was 100% God and yet 100% man. What is it like for the Creator to rely on creation? I mean, that makes no sense to me. But that's what happened in the incarnation. So notice what happened. Joseph being aroused from his sleep, he did as the angel Lord commanded him. So Joseph woke up and got going. Joseph woke up and took the next step. If you want your dreams to come true, you have to wake up. If you want God's plan to happen through your life, you have to wake up. 
If you want to enter into a bigger story, you have to wake up. Many of us are still sleeping and slumbering. Many of us are still dreaming. And God is speaking to you today. I've given you a great plan. You've got a great message, the gospel. But you need to wake up. Look at the person next to you and say, wake up. If you want your dreams to come true, you have to wake up. So Joseph woke up. And it was hard, but he did as God told him to do. See, there is a a, a major chasm, a major divide between belief and behavior. You know what to do, but doing it is another thing. So how do you bridge the gap between knowing something and doing something, between belief and behavior? It's really simple. The bridge is take that next step of obedience. Joseph got up. He took the next step. And as he journeyed, God gave him further instruction. Hey, go into Egypt because they're they're wanting to kill Jesus. So he took the next step. So here's the thing. A lot of us want to take a giant leap. But how many of you know the Christian life is a lot of little steps? It's faithfulness. Faithfulness is long obedience in the same direction. Faithfulness is taking those baby steps every day. I don't want to do it, but I got to do it. I want to quit, but I got to keep going. I don't feel like it, but I'm going to do it anyways. God's calling you to take baby steps before you take a giant leap. A lot of us are like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go for it. And God's like, yes, but are you taking the daily steps of obedience? Joseph got up. He had a first wake up. And then he did what God called him him to do. Pastor John Gersey of Calvary South Denver said it like this. The same God that was preparing Mary's womb was preparing Joseph's heart. So I want you to think about how God is working behind the scenes. He's the eternal son of God. This is so mysterious. You know, it's you you can ask your kids when you get home, who is the only person ever born that was older than his parents? And the answer is Jesus, because he lived forever is eternal son of God. (laughs) That's mysterious. The only person ever born that was predated his parents. Okay, eternal. So Joseph was God was working on him while God was also working in Mary. And the same true of you. God is working in you. God is working in you, as Paul said, both to will and to do according to God's good pleasure. He's working in you. And what he has worked in you, your job is to work it out. He works in you, so you work it out. He works in you, so you work it out. We have some engineers in the church, and there's a term called reverse engineering. How many of you have ever heard that? Reverse engineering means you look at the outcome and you go backwards to see how you get there. So I want to I want you to take a moment to reverse engineer your life. Put yourself in Joseph's sandals. Okay, two thousand years ago or so, Joseph was on planet Earth. If Joseph could stand before us now, what would he say about his struggle? Was it worth it, Joseph? Joseph, was it worth it to go through the heartbreak? Was it worth it to people have rumors about this child being illegitimate or out of wedlock? Was it worth it to raise a son that you know that would die for the world? What do you think Joseph would say? It was worth every struggle. It was worth every heartbreak. It was worth every pain. Because if you reverse your engineer your life, let's say a thousand years from now, that's hard to think about. But a thousand years from now, will the struggle be worth it? Will the heartbreak be worth it? Will the pain be worth it? If you look at a thousand years compared to maybe a hundred years, if you're extremely blessed on earth, it's like a second in eternity. Think about it like this. Imagine a billion years of a Jesus versus a hundred years of struggle on earth. 
If you reverse your engineer your life, you will know because that God is with me, because that God is for me, because God lives within me. Every struggle is worth it. Every heartbreak is worth it because Jesus has all of eternity to love you and care for you and be there for you. So, friends, I know the struggle is real, but the struggle is worth it. When you look against the backdrop of eternity, you will experience this. When you get to heaven, you're forever in God's love. You're forever in God's joy, holiness, happiness, basking in his glory. You know, this is sanctified speculation here. This is not thus saith the Lord, but this is Timothy's mind. I think in heaven, perhaps you can travel at the speed of thought. You know, in the New Testament, you see Jesus walking through walls and he shows up, disappears. Why do you think God created all the cosmos out there? Why do you think there are trillions upon trillions of stars out there that we've yet to see? I think throughout eternity, we will get to travel and explore God's creation. And the more stars and planets and galaxies we discover, the more we'll say, God, you're an amazing creator. You are a master worker. You create masterpieces. And Lord, that hundred years of struggle, when I see the glories of creation, when I travel through the planets and the stars and I realize how amazing you are, I will look back on my life a million years from now and say, God, it was worth it. Look at the person next to you say, it's worth it. It's worth it all. Pastor Tim Keller, who is the pastor of Redeemer Church in New York City, he gives a story. We've got some, how many musicians in the audience? Raise your hand. We've got some musicians in the audience. There was this aspiring young lady that was a musician. And she really wanted to be like her favorite singer, this celebrity singer that was on TV, that was all over the Internet. She aspired to be just like this singer. She went to all of her concerts. She studied her voice tones, inflections, and mannerisms. And she knew all about her from a general sense. And every concert, she would be in this woman's presence and just soak it up. This this lady is such an amazing... There is a reason why they call her a star. So every concert, she would get in herself the courage. I'm going to go talk to her, and she would develop this speech. I'm going to say, you know, I'm a young, inspiring singer. Can you give me any advice? But then she would back away because she said, what if she asked me to sing something? There's no way I can sing in this star's presence. So every concert, she would back away. So she had been in this lady's presence, but she never knew her on a face-to-face level. And you know what? A lot of us are like that with God. Many people have been to amazing worship services. We've basked in just amazing worship. We've heard God's word taught. And we've been in the general presence of God. But how many of us have been so close to God where we hear him call out our name? I love you, my child. How many of us have been so close to God where we sense his presence within us? The Emmanuel, the God with us. See, it's one thing to be in the general presence of God. It's another thing to experience Emmanuel on a personal level, knowing that God is with us, God is for us, and God lives within us. Amen? So, it brings up a question in conclusion. The Old Testament, people ran from the presence of God because they were terrified. You know, they would see the cloud and the fire, and in one passage, the whirlwind like a tornado, and they were so scared, like, Get me away from God's presence lest I die. But all of a sudden something happens in the New Testament where Jesus comes. And now God, you you still live in a healthy fear of him. But 
You're not running from his presence. You're to run towards his presence. And what's the difference between the Old and New Testament? What, where's, the, where's the separation happen? Who, who bridged the gap? Well, it goes back to his name. His name is Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The reason why people in the Old Testament ran from the presence of God, it was a sin issue. And the reason why New Testament believers in the book of Hebrews, it told, to tell, the author tells us to boldly approach the throne of grace so that we may find grace in time of need is because Jesus took away the sin. And now he looks at you through the cross. And, you know, even though my sin is great because of the cross, God looks at me as though I'm his adopted son. And because of Christ, he sees me as pure, blameless and without fault. You can ask my family and friends. They'll tell you many faults about me. They are many. Uh, there are many times I have to apologize saying I was wrong. But you know what? When you enter into Christ, all your faults are removed. Past, present, and future. And you are forgiven. You are cleansed. You are redeemed. You are made whole. So now you can run into God's presence. Not run from it out of fear. But if you're in Christ, you can run because now you know God as Emmanuel, the God who is with us. So let's throw the big idea on the screen. And I want us to say this together. Let's say it together. You are never alone because God is with you. God is for you and God lives within you. So the next time you feel alone, tell yourself, and it's okay to tell yourself, I'm not alone. Because Emmanuel is God with us. And if God is with me, who can be against me? If God is for me, it doesn't matter what's going to happen in this world. Because the struggle will all be worth it when you're with him. So for the Christian today and those listening online, if you want to experience the God with us, you have to deal with the sin issues. And even after you become a Christian The sin doesn't affect the relationship as far as you're still a son or daughter of God, but it affects the fellowship. It's not that you cease to become a daughter or son or God disowns you, but the presence of sin keeps you out of the presence of God. I'll say that again. The presence of sin keeps you out of the presence of God. So you're still, you still have a relationship, but the fellowship is hindered. So 1 John 1 9 says it like this. If we confess our sins, he's talking to believers. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to what? Purify us from all unrighteousness. And when we're purified, we can experience Emmanuel again, the God who is with us. And for the seeker, the person that you've not yet decided on Jesus, maybe you're listening online and you've never made a decision. I just want to bring you back to the truth. God has no grandchildren. So if you want to become a child of God, you have to accept being adopted. And how do you accept that? You accept what Jesus did for you on the cross through his death, burial, and resurrection. You take that step of faith, confessing your sins and confessing Christ as the savior of your sins. And guess what? He adopts you in. He gives you the Holy Spirit. So now you know that we're not just God's children because we have Christian families. We are God's child because we've accepted Christ. So let's look at these action steps and then we'll close. How do we apply this? How do we apply the fact that God is with us? The first one is this. Seek to spend quality time with Jesus daily. If you really believe that God is with you, uh, shouldn't you spend more time with Jesus? Like, if I really believe God's with me, I'll never forget, as either a youth pastor or a high school, or my senior pastor in high school, 
he, he taught the concept that you take God with you wherever you go. So if you watch the rated R movie, guess what? God's watching that with you. And I'm like, whoa. If you're single and you're making out with your girlfriend a little too much, guess what? Jesus is right there with you in the room. <laughs> so, okay. You know, so as, I, as a teenager, that really got a hold of me. Like, man, if I'm a Christian and God's living inside of me, do I want God to see what I'm doing right now? So that, that really changed. So think about it. Spend time with him. All right, number two, reached people, reach people. If you have been saved and rescued and delivered, what are you doing to be on mission with God? If you really believe that God is with us and because he, he's with you, he empowers you to reach people, think about that. So this Christmas, don't waste opportunities. You know, that problem relative, that problem person at your Christmas dinner table, it may be an opportunity in disguise to give them uh, an invitation for the peace that passes understanding. And finally, live your, back, live your life against the backdrop of eternity. So yes, the struggle is real. Yes, we don't minimize it. But when you think about a thousand years from now, will it really matter? Will it really matter how much money you have in the bank? Will it really matter how big your house was? Will it, will it really matter how big your 401k was? All of those things can be blessings you can enjoy. But from an eternal perspective, what are the two things that live on forever? Two things that live on forever, the souls of people and the word of God. So if you want to live your life against the backdrop of eternity, invest in those things, the souls of people and the word of God. Jesus says, heaven and earth pass away. But my word lives forever. So I'm going to invest my life and I challenge you to invest your life in those things. So friends, let this resonate and marinate in your spirit. God is for you. God is with you. And he lives within you. You are never alone. Let us pray.